Hi, hello, how are you? My name is Elizabeth Dale and I'm a Cornish writer, blogger and sometimes podcaster with a little bit of an obsession with local history. When I was growing up, we weren't really taught Cornish history at school. And as I got older, I decided that I really wanted to change that. I wanted to know some of the heritage that was connected to this amazing place that I was born in. And in fact, a few weeks ago, so the beginning of February 2024, that actually marked eight years since I started writing my blog, which is amazing. I I don't know where that time has gone. And I really started writing the blog because I was discovering so many amazing stories um, that I just knew I couldn't be the only one who didn't know about them. And I I really needed an outlet for that. Um, And, you know, I felt like I wanted to not only preserve those stories, but, you know, share them as well. So that's, you know, where the blog came from and then subsequently where the podcast came from. So here we are. And today's story... It brings together, I think, so many different kind of aspects of Cornish history, so many different characters, and I've really, really loved researching it. So I, I hope that you're, you're going to enjoy it too. So when the artist Turner visited Mausel in the summer of 1811, he made a rough sketch of a granite monument that he passed while walking to the village of Poole. Now, this monument had been placed there 18 years earlier to commemorate the murder of an elderly local woman, Martha Blewett. But sadly, local people quickly came to dislike the granite cross and to fear the place where it stood. So, who was Martha Blewett? How did she meet her end? And why did people come to fear the monument that was supposedly erected in her honour. The watercolourist J.M.W. Turner is often credited with initiating the artistic community's love affair with Cornwall in the 19th century. It was a love affair that saw this part of the country become a real mecca for painters and sculptors, and that's a trend that continues to this day. It was said that this all began more than 200 years ago, in the summer of 1811, when Turner visited Cornwall for the first time. This was in the days before either bridge had been built, so he crossed the Tamar River by rowing boat and embarked on a walking tour of the coast. Travelling light, he walked from village to village, headland to headland, lodging in local inns and guest houses, carrying with him just a few essential items, including his pencils and watercolour paints. Now, Turner's journey took him all the way to Land's End and he filled six notebooks with sketches of the landscape he saw as he walked. He had been commissioned by William Bernard Cook to produce a series of watercolours for a new tourist guidebook, but it is clear that the artist really fell in love with the area, you know, with the landscape. And he continued to create retrospective paintings of Cornwall long after his visit here. 
One of his most famous was this dramatic depiction of St Michael's Mount that was exhibited at the Royal Academy in 1834. But those sketches that Turner made were clearly more than preliminary drawings for this guidebook. He was sketching for himself too. And perhaps in in the same way that we now snap away with our cameras, he was recording memories of anything that he saw that interested him, anything that he wanted to remember. And one of those scenes, which is highly unlikely to have ever been considered for the tourist guidebook, was of Martha Blewett's cross. Now, you can find that drawing online. It's a a very rough sketch, just a few sort of scrawled lines, but in the way that only an artist can, those dashes with his pencil, you know, really capture a very recognisable scene. In the picture, the cross with its distinctive rounded edges stands against the hedge and you can see the road leading down to the sea in the distance. And importantly, in addition to sketching the cross, he also recorded something else as well. He wrote down the inscription that he could see cut into the stone. This is what he wrote, quote, Remember the Almighty, the great King of kings and Lord of lords, hath in the table of his law commanded thou shalt do no murder. End quote. Now, there are very few other records of what had actually been written on the cross because by the early 1900s it had become completely unreadable. So, now, who was Martha Blewett? Well, Martha Blewett was born in 1718 and baptised in Poole Church, close to the village of Mousel, in 1719. Her father was John, and it's believed that her mother was called Anne, although I haven't actually been able to find any parish records that actually verify that. Martha had one younger brother called William, and she never married or moved very far from the villages of her birth. Paul Church, just out of interest, is where one of the most famous ladies from Mousel, Dolly Pentreath, who is said to have been the last native speaker of Cornish, was buried in 1777, just a few years before Martha's murder. Now, both women were fish sellers working out of Mousel, and given the tightness of these rural communities, it seems really likely to me that they would have known each other, which kind of leads me to wonder whether Martha would have been a Cornish speaker too. Anyway, Martha lived to a good age for the period and she must have been fairly physically fit or incredibly poor because at the age of 74, she was still selling fish and salt door to door walking from cottage to cottage, you know, farmhouse to farmhouse in the area around Mousel and Poole, carrying her wares on her back. And I did find one single reference to the idea that some of the goods that Martha was selling, namely the salt actually, um, might have been contraband smuggled in from France. But as I say, there doesn't appear to be much record for that, although it, you know, it is entirely plausible. Anyway, on the 26th of November, 1792, Martha Blewett was walking up Mousel Lane on the way to Paul Church Town at about nine or 10 o'clock in the morning when she was attacked. 
Now, this lane is, is a narrow, fairly straight, single track road um, enclosed by high hedges on either side. So there's nowhere really to lie in wait for anyone, plus the fact it was broad daylight. So it seems unlikely that she was taken by surprise. It's more likely that this was a crime of opportunity. Her attacker was a 26-year-old fisherman called William Trewarvis. There are several variations on the spelling of his last name, um, but I'm going to go with the one that was recorded in the Pool Parish records. Some accounts say that he only meant to steal from the old woman. Apparently there was a rumour locally that she carried a lot of money on her, that she had been squirrelling away savings for her old age. So some accounts say that he had only meant to rob her, but that she had shouted after him that she knew who he was, that she knew his name. One newspaper wrote that she shouted after him, quote, I know you, Willie Trewarvis. And he had panicked and returned and slit her throat from ear to ear. William then went and hid on a boat in Mausall Harbour. And as I said, he was a local man, um, said to be around 26 years old at the time of the murder. And Trewarvis is a pretty uncommon name. It's only really found in Cornwall um, and mostly in records actually in the pool area. But actually identifying exactly who William was is not so easy. I have seen some records that suggest that he was baptised in Paul Church in October 1766 and that his parents were William Trewarvis, a fisherman, and Anne Yeaman, and that the couple married in Paul in 1748. But I haven't been able to sort of confidently verify that. So it's unclear how William was caught, um, what gave him away, whether there were any witnesses, maybe he told something what he'd done, or if he actually just gave himself up. But on the 14th of December 1792, the Stamford Mercury newspaper reported that on Thursday the 6th of December, William Trewaver was committed to Cornwall County Jail for the willful murder of Martha Blewett near Mausel. And I think we can be fairly confident that this national paper um, had sort of misspelt or misprinted William's name. William was held in prison in Lanson or Launson for the next four months until the assizes were held in the town towards the end of March 1793. And it was pretty much an open and shut case. The jury sentenced William to death for the murder of Martha Blewett and he was hanged. But there is really a lot of confusion about exactly when and where this execution took place. Records in Lanson suggest that the execution of William Trewarvis was at Bodmin on Thursday the 28th of March 1793. Newspaper reports at the time note the execution being held at Lanson. Bodmin records say that the first execution that ever took place at the jail was in 1802, so not 1793. Um, and they also record the execution date as the 20th of March, not the 28th. And Paul Parish records record the date of the execution as the 28th. But all of that aside, ultimately, the result, the outcome is the same. 
William was hanged in March 1793 for the murder of Martha Blewett. Martha, bless her, had been buried in Paul Churchyard the day after her death on the 27th of November 1792 and the vicar entered the following beside her name in the parish register. He wrote, quote, This aged person on Monday the 26th of November 1792 between 9 and 10 o'clock in the forenoon as she was journeying on the road from Mausel to Poole Church Town, was robbed of all her little property, which she had by great industry and parsimony scraped together for the support of declining age and the most, and most inhumanely murdered, her throat being cut from ear to ear, for which William Trewarvis Jr. of Mausel, fisherman, a young man not exceeding the 26th year of his age, was on Tuesday, the same evening that this unfortunate woman was buried, apprehended, and from a variety of dispositions and corroborating circumstances, committed to the county jail, as the person supposed guilty of this atrocious and bloody deed. End quote. Not long after Martha's death, a wealthy local man erected a granite cross beside the road at the spot where she had been killed. The man who paid for it, Sir Rose Price, was a rich landowner, a local magistrate and president of the Penzance Library, and he is also a fairly problematic character for us today. The Price family made their money from sugar plantations in Jamaica. They were slave owners and Rose Price was actually a staunch anti-abolitionist until his death in 1834. It seems that he had the monument erected for Martha. Well, let's just say he had a monument built. Whether it was actually for Martha is a good question that we are going to talk about a little bit later. Now, strangely, erecting monuments seems to have been something that the Price family enjoyed. While researching this, I came across references to another granite pillar, three feet high, built by John Price, I think that was Rose Price's father, in the same area somewhere called Three Lanes End on the hill above Newlyn. Now, this monument was uh, commemorating the finding of a gold ring. This ring was meant to have been dug up in a field by a labourer and said to have had a Latin inscription on it, which read, excuse the pronunciation, in hac sep vivo, which translates as I live in this hope or in this hope I live or something similar to that. And some records say that these words were actually carved onto this granite stone that John Price had erected. Now, where this monument is today, if it still exists at all, I have absolutely no clue. I've, I've not been able to find out anything more about it. Also, interestingly, if you look at an OS map of like the Newlyn area, you will also see Price's Folly marked, which is kind of this enormous wall. Um, you can still see it, actually. There's a sort of public footpath that passes right beside it. And it just looks like a massive hedge, like a massive earthwork and this wall is said to have been erected by Rose Price and was going to be part of a big mansion that he intended 
to build on the top of the hill above Newlyn. He did change his plans and um, built a larger house somewhere else. So I think he converted a farmhouse into his, his grand mansion somewhere else. But the wall sort of remained and became known as Price's Folly. Um, and there's these stories about him marching up and down the top of this wall on his horse, um, surrounded by his, his black slaves. So all fairly uncomfortable stuff, let's just say. Anyway, going back to Martha's memorial, one photograph actually exists of it and it shows um, a young lad standing beside the cross so we can sort of estimate that it was around you know something like four foot tall and it's raised up on some granite steps and the cross itself is quite unusual because it has these sort of rounded ends and the words that Turner recorded or he noted were carved onto a square panel that was sort of in the middle of the cross head. Now, as I sort of mentioned at the beginning, the exact wording that was on the cross has probably been lost because although in 1811, Turner noted it as saying, remember the almighty, the great king of kings, the Lord of lords hath in the table of his law commanded, thou shalt do no murder. 60 years later, William Lake in his parochial guide of Cornwall, which was printed in 1792, records it as the much more snappy, the Lord God hath said, thou shalt do no murder. Now, we're never going to know exactly what it says, but I'm kind of leaning towards Turner's notes as being more accurate because, you know, he recorded the cross much nearer to the time when it had actually been erected. And a newspaper um, says later on that by 1904, the inscription was completely illegible. So I'm leaning towards Turner's version is what I'm saying. Anyway, when I was researching this story, I came across repeated references to local people not liking the cross. I think they saw it as sort of a a constant reminder of what had happened on that spot. You know, people found it disconcerting, but they also found it kind of spooky. And as I've said many times before, us Cornish are a fairly superstitious lot and people became afraid of passing Martha's Cross, especially at night. And it was said that no weeds would grow there, there was no undergrowth, you know, and and so it sort of had this malevolent kind of feeling around it. One newspaper described it as, quote, an eyesore to the people of Mausel. Another mentioned that um, in the 1890s, people just didn't want to see it anymore and that it had recently been whitewashed, perhaps in an attempt to kind of cheer it up a bit. And it wasn't uncommon, really, in those days for people to avoid places that were associated with a violent death. It's something that I've come across in several other stories. One that springs to mind is actually Hangman's Barrow that I think I spoke about in episode 32. But I'm here in this particular case, I'm wondering if there was something more behind that dislike of the monument. As far as I can gather, although the cross was supposed to be commemorating Martha Blewett, her name does not appear anywhere in the inscription. It was more like this stone was commemorating the murder rather than the victim. And it was also a bit preachy, perhaps, as if the people of the area needed reminding that murder was wrong. Um, And I feel like that would have 
grated a little bit. And then, of course, there's the man that erected it, Rose Price. You got to wonder, you know, what people in the community thought of him. I mean, we can already guess what his opinion were of enslaved people, you know, the people that he owned. So, you know, you got to wonder how he looked upon the ordinary poor folk of Cornwall. You know, how did he treat them? And was, you know, was that another reason behind the dislike of this stone? Or was it just superstition, pure and simple? Things finally came to a head in 1923, so 130 years after the murder, when the road between Paul and Mausel was widened. Now, if you go to that road today, you would be forgiven for wondering, how narrow was it if this is the widened version? Because it's still, you know, a very narrow single track lane. But apparently it was widened. And in the process, it was decided that the community would take the opportunity and remove the cross. But it just wasn't taken down. Apparently it was actually broken up and then built into the new hedge. If you were interested and you wanted to visit, you can still pick out the spot where it stood today. However, if you're walking uphill just past the gateway to the playing fields, uh, a little further up, you'll see that the road sort of widens out slightly to the right. There's a sort of a dip in the hedge and this I understand is where the cross where the monument once stood. There is also um, a stone in the wall there um, in the winter time when there's not so much undergrowth you can actually see the word Sarah carved into this stone in the wall um, and that apparently was placed there in 1923 by one of the men that was widening the road and Sarah was the name of his daughter but it's also a great way of sort of distinguishing where that cross once stood. So I just love finding stories like this one about forgotten people like Martha Blewett, about a monument like this cross that would have been a really important landmark, um, but is now completely vanished, you know, would never know it existed. Um, but also this is a story that connects so many different elements of Cornwall's past together. From Turner's visit, which I've written about uh, much more extensively on my blog, if you want to go and have a look at that. Then, of course, there's Dolly Pentreath. And then, you know, the really sort of uncomfortable Price family story, which I'm really feeling like I want to look into a little bit more, perhaps in the future. Anyway, so that's the end of today's episode. Um, I'd really like to hear your thoughts as always. Um, I love getting comments and messages and feedback from you guys. You know, you've got to you've got to remember that there's little me sitting in a room on my own, <laughs> talking into a microphone, and uh, it's just nice. It's nice getting feedback. It's nice that there's people out there that are actually listening. So, <laughs> if you feel like getting in touch please do. I'd, I'd love to hear from you. If you've got an idea for a story, I'd also love to hear from you too. You know, I always try and remind people that I am not a professional historian. I did not study uh, history. I am always learning and I get so much pleasure and so much joy out of it. And then I get to pass those stories on to other people. So what could be better? <laughs> Anyway, thank you so much for listening um, and I will hopefully speak to you very soon. Bye for now. <laughs>